This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. It's Friday and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 88 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott and as always I'm joined by Gavin J. Baxter. Gav, how's it going? I'd love to say I'm delighted to be here but I know that the following conversation has become just all too common an occurrence in the past 88 weeks or so. (laughs) Right, we've got quite a bit to get through today. Um, We're going to take a quick look back at our Deadline day business. We'll have a look back as well at the 3-1 defeat at home to St Mirren on Wednesday evening and we'll take a look ahead to Saturday's, let's call it, it's kind of become crucial all of a sudden, clash with Motherwell at Tawdry as Stevie Hamill brings the Steel Men back north for the second time this season. But first, Deadline Day Gav, was it as exciting for you as it was for me? A lot of ingo- incomings and outgoings, wasn't there? It was a bit different from the past, well, certainly the past one anyway. Um, you say that. It was like an inverse of the infamous 2021 transfer window where we just decided we didn't have any defenders anymore, so signed a whole bunch of guys on loan till the end of the season. Um, let's go through them, shall we? Yes, why not? Cool. So not, not strictly speaking deadline day, but arrived... In the last couple of days, certainly, Matty Pollock in on loan from Watford, 21-year-old centre-half, over 100 first-team appearances to his name already, mainly via loans at Grimsby Town and Cheltenham. Made his Watford debut earlier this season as well in the Championship. He's had three appearances there this season. Kind of hailed as being a relatively promising youngster as every single player we signed from England appears to be. I think he came through the Leeds United Academy Initially, interesting one here, um, a friend of the show, Tommy Hoban, apparently had quite a bit to do with convincing Matty Pollock that his future, or certainly his immediate future for the next six months, late Pataudry ahead of um, ahead of Hibs. And yeah, we um, gave Tommy a wee nudge just to see if this was true, and indeed it was. And uh, indicated that he thought, you know, good guy, hungry to play, thinks he'll do a good job for us. We're going to touch a little bit on the game on Wednesday night where a few of these guys made their debuts, but just, I guess, any initial thoughts when you heard the news about the signing of Matty Pollock? Well, my instinct on the point about Tommy Hoban is that, I believe if I remember rightly, Tommy Hoban's gone into the uh, financial services game. He has. uh, Post-retirement. I hope that his advice to his clients is better than what he's dished out to Matty Pollock here. (laughs) Um, Matty Pollock had a choice of Aberdeen or Hibs, so... And he picked the team that lost 6-0 to Hibs. Fair play. Um, so much you need to play. Oh yeah, because clearly, you know, Paul Hanlon would have been just far too big an obstacle to get past. <laughs> well, we, Paul Hanlon was for our our strikers last week, so... Um, you know, all, all you can really go on, I mean, there's a good level of experience at uh, first team level there, albeit with, you know, Grimsby, who I assume must be a National League team, and Cheltenham, um, who I think are League 2. I imagine Grimsby have been National League and their chat other League Two just now. I think okay, so um, just going off the basis of what we saw on Wednesday, you know, he's got a very good size about him. Um, probably made Curtis Mainfield cripplingly insecure with the size of those delts. <laughs> and yeah, he looks he looks promising. Um, initial initial uh, feedback from myself be that this is a guy I think that could be could be a rather good piece of business. Okay, well we'll come on to the game. Wednesday night, a minute or two. Um, next up, through the doors, Jay Gorter. Yes. 22-year-old goalkeeper on loan from Ajax. 
Um, joined Ajax in 2021 from Go Ahead Eagles. We had made about 40 appearances for them prior to making the move to Amsterdam. Again, now we didn't see Gorter at all on Wednesday night. His international clearance still not through yet. But I guess just your thoughts on us going Dutch for the second time. Well, not for the third time, technically speaking, with a goalkeeper. But um, for the second time this season in, in between the sticks or the sticks. A double Dutch this season. Um, you know, again, very good level he's coming from in, in Ajax. Um, has had, I think, one or two seasons under his belt with with his previous club. So decent level of experience. Seems like he's highly rated. Ajax, think, signed him up to a, a year-long extension before loaning him out here. So they must have plans for him. In about their, uh, Scared of Davy Cormac's megabucks. Cormac coins. I'm sure that's what it is. Um be intriguing to see what exactly his role he's going to fit when when he's available. Um, I'd imagine he's going to come in and take the number one jersey, especially up until Kelrus comes back. And what will be interesting for me is, given that you've also got Tom Ritchie being loaned, uh, his loan terminated with Peter Head, he's back in the fold. It'll see, be interesting to see what happens with, that with Joe Lewis when everyone's back and available. Yeah, I think if I was a betting man, and I think I said this during the week, I would suspect that when Kelrus is back fit, that it'll obviously then be a shootout between Roos and Gorter for the number one jersey till the end of the season. And I wouldn't be surprised to see there being a mutual parting of the ways with Joe Lewis from the club, either either at that moment in time or at the end of the season. I think it's still a bit unclear as to how long Roos is going to be out for, but that's just, I expect Joe Lewis will leave Pitodre, um either at the end of this season or, or before, depending on how quickly Roos comes back again. I tend to agree. Um, all being well, if Gorter's available on Saturday, it wouldn't shock me if Wednesday was the last time we see Joe Lewis on an Aberdeen trip. Yeah, uh, and I was going to maybe come on to that when we come through the, the review of, of Wednesday evening as well. Um, it's hard to kind of make a call about Gorter at all at the moment. Uh, obviously, again, you can do all the YouTube analysis all you want. There's some clips of him where he looks like a very, very, very impressive goalkeeper. Lots of good saves, got a good frame on him, decent size. Etc. Et um, people kept on. I think he played for Ajax against PSV in the let's call it the equivalent of the what the, the charity shield or something, the community shields um, at the start of the season. And people were pointing at that, going, "Oh, it looks a bit ropey," because he came for one cross ball and didn't get to it. And there was one people were kind of saying that like a, a long range effort came to. Him. Have you seen the video I'm talking about? I've not, but what you're saying sounds like Kelrus. Yeah, but there's one as well. A long range effort comes at him and it's kind of straight down his throat, and he kind of parries it and it spills out and a PSV player scores. I think PSV won the game 4-2 eventually. But what I would say is looking through the goals, the only one I think he's at fault for is actually the one where he tries to come for a cross and doesn't get it. I think the one he parries out, when you see the angle behind the goal, that ball is moving all over the place and it dips on him like horrendously badly at the last minute. So I don't think I'd have a huge amount of you know issues there, but let's wait and see what happens with him. Next in was Angus MacDonald. Excellent Great name. name. Great name. Excellent name. Um, horrendous stuff from the Aberdeen Twitter admin and everything by not announcing as being Aberdeen Angus or whatever. Just I know. It was right there. Yeah. On that point, because we've seen it again this week, our Twitter admin at Aberdeen, terrible stuff. It's just, it's far too serious, isn't it? Um, I don't know. I, I've, I don't enjoyed know I don't, I've enjoyed the St. Mirren admin shithousing. I don't week. know. I don't know if levity is something that, it would, I think it would be a bold move to try and bring a level of humour and levity <laughs> to our current situation. We've never had it. Even when things were going well, we've never had it. We've never yeah. had that kind of like just that little bit of, you know. Even the old transfer introductions, you know, we don't really seem yeah. to go over the full-fledged banter years kind of yeah, exactly. ideas that you see a lot of clubs engage in. But I don't know. Depends who our Twitter admin is. Well, that's it. Dave. Could well be Stephen Gunn for all we know. <laughs> Maybe that's, have you seen the clip of him in Stuart Mill and then Dave I have seen. I have seen the footage of the our football monitoring board taking in the the red card. Yes. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe that was what it was. Maybe he was just trying to remember his login details for the account. Anyway, Alex McDonald, thirty years old, signed on a short term permanent deal until the end of the season after he was released early on deadline day by Swindon Town. He's made a choice between the Swindon branch or the Reading branch. Gav's not enjoying that. Um, over three hundred appearances at centre half. Oh. Slough. Slough. Why did I think it was Reading? Absolutely no idea. Oh, no idea. Slough or Swindon. Or Scranton. Scranton. Sweet as that. Did they choose Scranton because it begins with an S? Maybe. There's a question. Maybe. I never, I never considered it until now. Anyway, over 300 appearances 
for the centre-back through the English leagues, featuring for the likes of Barnsley, Hull City, Rotherham, and then Swindon. That's a list of working-class towns, if ever there was one. Um, where he well, joined... Footballing powerhouses as well. Yeah, exactly. Where he joined last summer at Swindon. Um, he was made captain straight yep. away, and then released um, in January, which is appears to be a pattern for clubs like what kind of tin pot club would get involved in that kind of power especially one two years in a row <laughs> uh has got floppy hair um once dated alexandra burke who said he was such a knob that she would never date footballers again um now she goes out with dan randolph i think so who knows uh my favorite thing about the entire signing of angus mcdonald was the swindon fan who just appeared on i think it was aberdeen twitter or it might have been on swindon's twitter basically just saying can't defend can't pass can't run, tells his fans to fuck off. It was like, right. Sounds exactly what we're after. I would say, again, based on my one game's <laughs> worth of evidence that he can defend. Not fa- it's not fast, but he can run. <laughs> Gav, can he defend? Oh, oh uh, we're, here we go. We're... Here we go. Gary's in on the player already. One game in, writing him off. I'm, I'm just much like he, Much like he did Barry Robson, worst manager of all time. <laughs> right, <laughs> let's keep our powder dry, but... Is this not one of these, though, again, it's a little bit like... Okay, actually, we'll come on to the next one, and then we can talk about the, the wider signings in a whole. Last in through the door, I think I'd already gone to bed by the time this one got announced, but it was on the cards for quite a while during the course of the day. And I'm going to murder his name here. I know I am. Uh, Dylan Marcande, 21-year-old attacking right-winger, or Mark Anade. Mark Andy? Mark Anade? I don't know how to pronounce his surname. There's an extra A in there that shouldn't be there. Um, an attacking right-winger... Signed on loan to the end of the season from Blackburn Rovers. Joined them in January 2022 from Spurs. Eesh. I wonder if there's a wee bit of a... There's a there from Gavin. Red flag as soon as the name Spurs comes into the equation. Yeah, I wonder if this is perhaps a, a Mowbray brother link-up because Tony would have signed him for Blackburn Rovers for Spurs. Obviously, Darren um, here as head of recruitment. He's only had six appearances in first-team football before he joined us. Um, hailed as being a very kind of attacking winger, a very exciting, etc. Again, this one just feels a little bit to me, I don't know, I think the four, Jay Gorta put him at one side because we clearly needed a goalkeeper in after the Kelrus injury. Now, we clearly need the defensive cover as well. We've been crying out for it all January. But I do kind of feel that these three, Pollock, McDonald and Mercandy, feels a little bit scattergun, doesn't it? It feels a bit panicked and a bit rushed and a bit last minute. It feels very much the antithesis of what we were told we were going to be as a club going forward with our recruitment strategy. Do you think the last two years have been an antithesis of what we were told we were going to be? Well, the football club as a whole. It definitely does feel like, yeah, we've clearly... It's hard because you wonder, like, were we going along with the basis that Jim Goodman was still very much the head of the table as far as recruitment goes, and then we decided to sack him, and now... He no longer the one. Who know who knows who's calling the shots these days? I mean, Bad Robson seems to have made out that he's got some some power to make these decisions with Anthony Stewart. If it's him working in um close cooperation with Mowbray, I don't I don't know. Or if it's Stephen Gunn, who knows? Maybe it's Cormac. So many questions. Cormac, probably so Cormac. many questions. But um yeah, I mean you talk about Pollock, um, Gorter and um McDonald all having, you know, reasonably decent levels of experience. Mar Marcande. I'm going to go with that. Mark Handy, yeah. 21 years old, and yeah, like you say, six games at senior level. It's pretty minimalistic. And presumably... He has, had, being... a big, he has had a big hamstring injury if we just kept him out for about six months. Because obviously, obviously. Well, that makes it all right. Yeah. Um, and presumably being kept out of the team by um, by the likes of Ryan Hedges at Blackburn. So yeah, are we, are we improving upon where we were one, two years ago? Who knows? But... Um, well, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see. But it's a signing that seems to... I don't know, this is one from the Jeffrey Monacana playbook, for my money. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, on the outgoings, perhaps no surprise with the first one in Vicente Bajouin leaving on loan to Excelsior Rotterdam for the rest of the season. I say not a surprise because it had been kind of trailed for days in the run-up to... Um, in, in fact, in the run-up to Goodwin being sacked, but also in the run-up to deadline day, that both he and potentially Jaden Richardson had been told that they could find new clubs. Um, I guess the surprise with the Bajouin one, though, is the fact that, okay, a loan moved back to Holland with Excelsior, Rotterdam and Eredivisie, but 
Excelsior do hold an option to purchase. And that's the bit that I am kind of curious about. How so? Well, just because I think he's a player we've invested a lot of money in. Um, we are currently going through a state of change once again. There's no guarantee as to who the manager is going to be come the end of the season, whether we appoint a new manager before then or whether Barry Robson is still in charge and we get to the end of the season and then we appoint a new manager. But there's always the potential that a new guy comes in and wants to look at the entire squad he's got at his disposal and he looks at Bajewin and goes, I can work with that. And, you know, he's a guy we've got tied up on a, you'll still have, what, three years of his deal left to go? He signed a four-year deal, I think, when he came in, or a four-and-a-half-year deal when he came in. So he's still got, you know, a decent chunk of contract left. Presumably we're not going to be able to recoup our entire transfer fee that we outlaid for him from Excelsior in that option to buy because I would have thought we'd have highlighted that if that was the case. And I just think, that is it a bit premature to decide that we'd be willing to let him go on a permanent basis before our new manager comes in and has a chance to say, actually, I could work with that. It's it's one of them because there's so many, you know, there's so much rumour and innuendo when it comes to Bajauen and the exact reasons to why he's um, been made available. If it's a case that he just hasn't settled and he wants to go back to Holland, then I think that makes sense. If it's from a footballing perspective, then yeah, it doesn't make sense. Um the only person that knows the answer to that will probably be Shetty Bajawan and those closest to him. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he does. Um, Excelsior, I think, are near the bottom of the of the Arid Aridip. They're near the bottom of the Dutch league. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, if he goes and plays the way he has for Aberdeen this year, then I I doubt they'll take that option up. So um it's it's a transfer with with a lot of moving parts involved in it. And I don't think we're really ever going to know the truth until maybe one day um, someone does an all-reveal interview. But yeah, it's from our end, it's just premature. If we got, if we can recoup anything like the money that we paid paid out for him, then so be it, and we move on. Um, just yeah, unfortunate the way it's played out because I think we, we all had pretty high hopes for him when he came in, especially that first few months. Yeah, and I think I definitely think there's a player in there. I really do. I think there's a a, a player there. I think it just it feels to me they just need a manager. Uh, uh, a character of some sort to kind of really just get the best out of any Bajowin um, and, and to work with him and work with his personality and everything to get the very best out of him. But hey, let's let's see where we're at on that one. And I guess the bigger surprise of the day, because I think we all expected maybe maybe Jaden Richardson to go. There was obviously Marley Watkins was being touted to a number of clubs and a number of clubs were interested in him. Nothing eventually came of it. There were strong rumours through the course of the day that he was going to go to Dundee United probably to replace Tony Watts, and that never came off. So if we've just led United along the garden path all day, they've sold Watt, <laughs> or they've let <laughs> Watt go to some end, and then we've gone, actually, no, he's not coming. Then I'm all right with that. That's kind of funny. Um, Danny Povara, I'm kind of surprised nothing happened with him. But the big surprise, I think, was what developed really rapidly through the last few hours of the transfer window, which was the move of Anthony Stewart to MK Dons on loan to the end of the season. And like I say, it looked as though this was going to be a permanent deal as well. From what we heard, the permanent deal didn't quite materialise. Clubs unable to quite agree a fee for him. Um, Aberdeen were looking for some form of fee back in. Um, and I think potentially about the structure of Stuart's contracts, obviously he's got a contract thus that runs until the end of next season. You know, the, the peaks and troughs of wages and all that had to be renegotiated. And I think it got to the point that basically a loan was where we went. That's what's happened. So I guess, Gav, on one hand, surprised he's been let go. I don't think any of us woke up on deadline day expecting Stuart would be leaving the club. Um, your thoughts? And again, you touched on it earlier on, it appears to be a call that Barry Robson's made, which is also interesting. It does definitely imply that there's more of a long-term strategy with Barry Robson than we perhaps think, or some people perhaps even like. Um, with I mean, yeah, it, it moved very, very fast. Not going to lie. Not disappointed that he's gone. I think he's a very, very, very limited player all round and was kind of thanking the footballing gods when it sounded like MK Dons were going to give us some actual real cash money to get him out the door and take him off our hands. Um, Shambolic state of affairs. Like, yeah, for the second season in a row, our captain has left halfway through the season. With regards to the structure, I suspect, again, just because it was so um, relatively last minute, um, I think Stuart probably was well up for an exit strategy given the way things have gone and given his um, relationship or lack thereof with the fans, especially 
I suspect much like um, Graham Shinney, it's a case that, yeah, we'll get him at the door. MK Dons will take on part of his wage. I imagine being club captain coming from Wigan, he turned down a contract there. I suspect he's on relatively good money at Aberdeen. He wasn't club captain at Wickham. Let me rephrase. Being a very well thought of senior player at Wickham, rejecting a contract um, to come here. I suspect we offered him a very, very good salary, all things considered. Yeah, I'd imagine. So, yeah, MK Dons, I think, again, they're League One. Mid, league mid, one, mid bottom table, league one. League... No, they're fighting relegation. He'll fit in perfectly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I suspect that it's just a case of let's get him out the door and then in the summer we'll see whether it's MK Dons or who knows, maybe even Wickham Wanderers again because that seems to be the the one football club where he has like his special skills set. And yeah, like from a purely football decision, I've got no issue with it all. I think he's, as far as players with the ball at their feet, as bad a footballer as I've ever seen at Aberdeen. <laughs> Oof, Gav. I, I, I thought about that, and I, I'm standing by standing it. Standing by it. You're gonna okay. The only one I could maybe think of is Gerald. Yeah, Gerald would be the one I was. Gerald's my instant thought. And on it's different, but that's different because Gerald was a panic signing off the back of the Sigma Olimic humping. That's true. Made by a manager who, well, we all know, but Mark McGee. We clearly trailed Anthony Stewart, and you know he was one of the first names in the door when we signed him, uh, for a club that wanted to go out and start playing it from the back. So. Terrible footballer. Terrible footballer. I don't know. This is that whole thing about levels and how sometimes players just work at certain clubs and then they venture out with their yeah. out with and you know it just it goes to shit immediately. And yeah, um wasn't really prepared to forgive him for that decision he made in the semi-final. Uh cost us the game. And since then it's just gone worse. So I think best for all that he departs these shores. Jink will see him again. I'd very much doubt it. Yeah, uh, the only way I could see that happening is if we bring in a very, very pragmatic manager who does not want to play it from the back. Agreed. Right then. Um, all in all then, factor in the signings of Graeme Shinney and Patrick Mislovich as well. Just and the departure general... of uh, Christian Ramirez. As well. Oh yeah, I completely forgot that Ramirez is gone. Um, there we go. Seems to be loving life in the crew. I wonder what his thoughts were on Saturday. Anyway. Um... Somewhat, somewhat amazed he hasn't tweeted anything. Yeah, I'm waiting for it. I really am. I'm waiting for the podcast. Um, yeah, just I guess your general... It's been a weird month, hasn't it? I mean, it's been so weird on so many different levels. It feels like it's been the longest. January always feels like a long month. This month feels like it's been so long. And part of that, I think, is because of the absolute state that our football club has been in. Um, quite the month. Just think the other day, it seems like an absolute eternity ago since Boyan Miofsky was scoring that goal at Hamden. Uh, it really does, doesn't it? It really does. Um, yeah, just I guess your final thoughts on just the whole window and kind of where we're at. Um, too much change would be my instinct, um, given that we kept getting told that you know, the overhaul in the summer was something we'll not see again. <laughs> yeah, and then what's that? That's six. That's six in the door. How many of them are on loan or on short-term contracts? Most of them. All of them. All of them. All of them are either on loan or short-term contracts. Yeah. So uh, even okay, if things got, work, yeah, even if things work out well with with you know potentially all six of them, you know, um, in the case of Shinny, like Wigan have changed their manager already. Sean Maloney's in there. I mean, Sean Maloney and his and his dad's clothes are rocking up at at the DW. That's what it's still called. He might fancy Shinny. Yeah, he might. So that so that might uh, you know uh, put a wrench in that potential deal, and then you know all the rest of them are. Well, Mislovich, we have the option to buy, so... But... Um, well, yeah. Initial viewing doesn't make... That doesn't suggest that we'll be taking that one up. <laughs> well, let's not be too harsh. I mean, God, you're talking about me. Yeah, anyway. Well, it's more the fact that he's basically not featured at all. No, that was more my he's, point about Mislovich as well. And yeah. then, you know, like McDonald, um, you know, Pollock's clearly just here to ex- gain experience as much as anything. I suspect it'll be the same with Gorter. And then, like I say, Marca, Marcande... Maybe this will be the making of. Maybe it won't be. But yeah, it just seems like there's a lot of um, a lot of very very short term thinking. Yeah, exactly. Right. Let's move on then to Wednesday night. Must we? We'll do it really quickly. Barry Robson in interim charge. Scott Anderson and Steve Agnew on the bench. Now two changes to the Aberdeen team from the horrendous defeat at Easter Road on Saturday. That saw Anthony Stewart and Liam Scales dropping out. Obviously, Stewart now on loan at MK Dons. Scales suspended, so in came for immediate debuts. 
Matty Pollock and Angus McDonald. Graeme Shinney being given the captain's armband. Uh, Mark Andy and Alfie Babbage on the bench. Lined up in a 3-5-2 formation to begin with. Not that this lasted for very long, but um, a back three of McCrory, McDonald and Pollock. I presume we went back three purely just because we didn't want to go with a back two centre-half pairing of Pollock and McDonald being complete newbies together. And we decided to put McCrory in there to try and like, you know, help things out. And, well... That went to shit after, what, less than seven minutes? Uh, strictly speaking, the actual incident occurred on three minutes, 47 seconds. Really, did it? It was as early as that? Yeah, the That's very amazing. conveniently placed uh, timer on the main stand side. Nice, Let's excellent. Um, red card for Ross McCrory after a bit of a coming together between him and Charles Dunn. Um, obviously, from our angle on the Merkwin stand, Gav, like, I think we were all bemused about how this had been. It was initially awarded as a free kick to St Mirren, wasn't it? It was, yes which I think we were all baffled by because from our angle, it looked pretty clear that Dunn had just simply cut across and effectively clotheslined McCrory, tried to bring him down without really making an attempt to win the ball. McCrory had actually done really well to get up the line at this point. And then that horrible sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach when John Mellis mumbles over the tannoy that there's a VAR check for a potential red card. I mean, fair play if you heard that there was a VAR check because all I heard was someone doing his best Bane impression. Yeah, it, they need to sort that out. That has to get sorted out pronto. Pathology. It's terrible. And then you're like, well, what's there a red card here potentially for? I don't understand. I've not, have I missed something off the ball? And then the next thing you know, McCrory's been sent off. We all see the clips. You know what? For a fleeting moment, I wondered if they were reviewing whether it was like uh, denying a goal scoring opportunity. Ah, okay. Because he was the last man done. It if, kind of if, was, if, yeah. If yeah. McCrory goes past him, there's a chance he gets a shot away. Anyone that's seen Ross McCrory take a shot at full speed knows it's going nowhere near the net, but that's not for VAR to decide. But then the longer it went on, it started to think that, hang on. Because Dunn was down, like, holding his face. And yeah, yeah. You started to think, like, what's, what are they looking at here? And then, uh, you know, as soon as he makes the gesture, you knew it was coming. Yeah, and then he went over, and he didn't take long to look at the monitor and turn back around and be like, yeah, off, off you go. Um, that's, that kick-started the chain reaction of an incredible first-half performance in particular by Grant Irvin in the centre of the park. Having looked back at the incident now, Gav, what's your thoughts on it? On the red card? Because, yeah, because we're going to get into a huge discussion here about VAR, I feel. Which I really didn't want to do, but we're yeah, going to have I think to. I, can probably, I think I can probably surmise my feelings in like okay. one or two sentences on that one. But um, um, listen, I mean, he is... Ross McCrory is running at full speed. He does the old play the ball around one side, try and run the other way. Charles Dunn tries to block him. And McCrory's running at full speed. I think as much as anything, he he lifts his hands to protect himself in the event of a head collision, which I think could have happened. Yeah. And in the moment, in the motion, his arm, his right arm does, it's lifted. And, you know, there's a coming together. There's nothing in it that resembles malice or, in my view, dangerous, dangerous conduct on the part of Ross McCrory. It's not, this is such whataboutry on my part, but if that's a red card, how on earth were we not looking at Ryan Kent versus Liam Scales in the cup semi-final when there's two movements of an arm towards um, Scales' head. Yeah, I mean, like I like personally, I don't really think the Ryan Kent one on, on Scales at hand and is a red card, right? Like, I think if you start, if you if I take my red tinted glasses off, there's a nice plug for Glenn and Callum there. Um, like, I can see why people look at it. And maybe by the strictest sense of the laws, it probably should be because it's really raising a hand. But... I don't really think there's an awful lot in it. And I think Scales does his best to try and make something out of it. But you're right. This is the lack of consistency issue here now, isn't it? About if you're going to send McCrory off for that, then you have to look back at the Kent one, for example. The bigger concern I have as well with this whole thing is that from what I can make out, and okay, we were in the ground, so I don't know for definite, but I'm going to make a very bold call on this based on the highlights I've seen. I think Grant Irvin only got one angle to look at the incident from, which is the one, the main TV angle. And at that angle, when it's slowed down, it looks way, 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 way worse than it actually was. And this is the problem with using VAR, where you've got a limited number of camera angles. If there was an angle from the Merkwin Road end looking back up the pitch, that incident looks very different. I don't think he even comes close to giving a red... Well, actually, based on the rest of Grant Irvin's performance during the day, fuck knows what he does. But anyone with a normal set of eyes and no tendencies is going to look at that incident in a completely different way if they've got a different camera angle to look at and also if it's not slowed down to the nth degree 
if when you watch that incident with context at full pace, there's nothing in it. No one on the St. Mirren team, the St. Mirren bench, who were the closest, I would suggest, to the incident would have been the St. Mirren bench because we've switched benches now again. Yep. No one on that bench was appealing for anything. You know, normally if somebody poleaxes somebody with an elbow, everyone's going mental about it. There was none of that. There was nothing. Speaks volumes to what I believe to be a referee that's probably never really played football. Yeah. And doesn't understand the mechanics of what happens when especially when you're running at pace and there's a collision. Um, I, yeah, I can't, I can't get my head around it. Um, I did want to bring up, I was, this was meant reference to me by a friend. There's an individual on Twitter. Um, Del, I'm reliably told this is correct. At Delboy20963, this is Derek Clark, who was a first-class assistant referee in the Scottish game. Mm-hmm. Ran the line at the 2007 Cup Final between Hibs and Kilmarnock. Okay. Now, if Peter Walton's broadcasting career has taught us anything, it's that there is clearly some kind of referees union and they all just back each other no matter what. Yeah. Derek tweeted, As a former first-class referee, I feel qualified enough to state that Grant Irvin should never referee at premiership level again. Red card aside, he was aggressive, confrontational, unfit and out of position from the first minute. I hope, but can't see, the Scottish FA and head of refereeing Crawford Allen. Crawford Allen's the head of refereeing in Scotland. What yeah, I thought I that is it's... calling him in and questioning his fitness well, and ability. Mean, let's be honest, it's a crapshoot who you pick, isn't it? Oh, that's fair. He looked as if he was relying on VAR to cover his pathetic performance and as such was nowhere near the standard referee required for top-class football, even in Scotland. Now, there's so much of that that I completely agree with because, yeah. you know what, take, take, the, um, take the red card aside. The whole night, his decision-making was just baffling. And I'm sure that yeah. I'm not. I'm not suggesting this was like cheating. I'm sure if he had the opportunity to screw St. Mirren, he would have done the same thing. And there were so many instances where, like Graham Shinney or Joe Lewis or some of our senior players, were I think trying to talk to him to probably just get as much as I think a semblance of understanding into what goes into his decision making when he's on the pitch. And you just he does this. It's that stupid backwards trot that must be the first thing you learn at refereeing school, <laughs> or we'll yeah. just dismiss them away. Well, there was one, there was a VAR check going on at one point for something. I don't know what, because there was loads of VAR checks. I mean, I think we played 102 minutes of football on. Mm-hmm. Well, there was 102 minutes of game time. I don't know if there was 102 minutes of football played on Wednesday night. But there was one point, there was a VAR check going on, and I think nobody had a clue what it was for. And Ilber Ramadani went up to him and was literally clearly just asking, what's the VAR check for? Like, what is it? What's being looked at? And he was giving him the whole, like, waving him off. And it's like, if you can't, as a player come up to a referee and ask a a simple question about what's getting looked at like where do you start where do you start with that yeah it's 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 the who's the referee i'm thinking of there was one in scotland who's just his arrogance was off the charts there's loads there's been loads of them though i know there's one that always stood out to me i can't remember who it is now but it's just that thing like if you when you have these people who i firmly believe like there's so many top class officials in scotland who clearly didn't play football like Willie Collins is the perfect example. You ever watch that guy a half time or full time? If the ball's rolled towards him, watch the way he bends down and picks the ball up. Yeah, it's so true. Just tells you all you need to know about him. And the arrogance of these guys is just off the charts. Um, you think it was Steve Conroy? Ah, oh, quite possibly. Bobby Madden was the same. Although yeah. to be fair, on Wednesday I was kind of pining for Bobby Madden. Maybe that's the long game. It will bring Bobby back. We'll bring Bobby Madden back on a record transfer fee from England. <laughs> because we didn't we didn't know how good we actually had it um all round i mean just a pitiful performance in the referee and the thing is people lose their jobs over results of this but yeah. nothing nothing will happen at grant Irvin. no no i'm not saying and this is another point though about the whole issue with var now is of course because for in a game like um wednesday night where you basically had it was basically an entire card of scottish of top flight games wasn't there there was Hibs, uh, Ross Hibs and Ross County was the day the before, night before yeah. but you had basically a, uh, the entire card so then you've got obviously the referees you need at the games plus their assistants plus a fourth official but then you need two VAR officials per game apparently not to sure this is actual happens I, I'm convinced there's just one poor bastard just with about a multitude of screens just smashing buttons hoping for the best Um, but you know we have a we have a limited pool of referees and assistant referees anyway, right? Just by nature of the size of the country and by nature of the, 
the number of games that are played across the country. Because we've got we have we do have one of the biggest you know clubs per capita ratios in Europe in terms of you know the pyramid and everything. And it's not and it's not a bad thing, but it does mean we're presumably now starting to see referees being promoted way above their station quicker than they would have been to fill games, like to take games on, because we now have to have referees like two referees per match watching on VAR in the back of the fucking Loudon Tavern. And this is a problem now as well, isn't it? It's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy. I've gone all Celtic da. It's good. Yeah. Um, long, long last. <laughs> but then you factor into that the sheer number of technical restrictions that exist within our oh, VAR. I know, I know. I mean, we have genuinely gone and got VAR from the middle aisle in Aldi. <laughs> and listen, I'm not criticizing the middle aisle at Aldi. There's some some brilliant shit in there. Sometimes some stuff that you you don't necessarily need right now, but you know, I might need a power saw next week. There's even more. <laughs> there's even more bizarre stuff. Let's be honest. The red card ruined the game, as an just as any sort of contest, as a spectacle, as an entertainment vehicle. Yes, yes, it did. Um, we then have to move to a back four with two centre-halves who've literally met each other for the first time earlier that day. So Angus, Matty, Matty, Angus. Yeah. Johnny Hayes at left-back, uh, Matty Kennedy at right-back, Ramadani, Shinny, Leighton Clarkson, Clarkson as wide players, and then Miofsky. I felt so sorry for Poya Miofsky on Saturday, on Wednesday. Yeah, because especially because they were up. They did switch to a back four in the second half, but it was a back three in the, in the first yeah. half. And yeah, there was a... A thankless task is what you'd call that. I mean, literally all we did after the sending off was just smash the ball long and hopefully get the ball at the park. And it's like, what are you meant to do with that, mate? And you know what? Of course, this is typical Aberdeen. It's probably the best game Miofsky's had as a target man. Yeah, he actually did okay, I thought. He was winning yeah. a lot, but of course there's no one anywhere near him. So Yeah, yeah. And I thought he actually put in a decent shift and tried to chase down defenders and stuff and thankless task. Anyway, uh, we get I, to half. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say, I, I thought, um, doing the maths here, I thought eight, eight. But eight of our outfielders were showed a lot of endeavour when we went down to ten. Yeah. So anyway, get to half time. No, no. Uh, Curtis may miss an open goal somehow in that first half as well. Um, catching his studs in the turf when he had an open goal from eighteen inches. I would like to laugh at this, but I know what's about to come. So um, let's not do too much of that. In the second half, uh, Declan Gallagher came on for a minute and a half time. <clears throat> Probably the easiest forty-five minutes Declan Gallagher's ever had at Petodre. It's fair to say. This one coming up. Um, let's talk about the goals quickly. So the first, the first goal for some minute. Grant Irvin once again decides that this is a free kick after the ball smashes off Graham Shinney's head. Off Graham Shinney's rather sizable nose. Bizarre one. I mean, okay, fine, it shouldn't be a free kick, but ultimately, does it really make that much of a difference? It's only taking a, it's taking the kick in from five yards. It, the, our defending's appalling um, here. I think he gets the run off of McDonald. I think this is why I was. It's hard, grimacing earlier it's, when it's, you said. it's hard because when I watch it I'm not really sure if we're man marking or we're doing some kind of zonal thing I think it's Miofsky actually that's closest to him might be closest to him but I think he makes the run off of somebody else anyway in fairness I think it's actually a really good cross in by a lot of pace was it strain it was a really good ball in if you were watching which was actually quite interesting I was watching Declan Gark at the back post and he was making the movement to strain like the kind of fizzit movement they were doing that a lot yeah, right. but it was, were, a, it was a yeah. really good ball in, and as much as it pains me to say it, Curtis May makes a really, really good run. And it's a good, good header. Good header. Um, yeah. I don't, we've talked about this at fives. I don't understand why Curtis May decides he had to noise up the Aberdeen support by this, because I never really felt that Curtis May really got it tight from the Aberdeen support at any time he was here. Um, bit odd. I think everyone tended to agree that he was definitely not an Aberdeen standard player. No. And that's probably where everyone left it. Yeah, I don't I don't remember him getting much. It's it's the same as that Arsenal Stevie May. Yeah, probably. Uh, May probably does get a bit tighter though because he gets the who the fuck is Stevie May thing and he got that again when he went back to St. Johnston and he was getting it a little bit that day. But he wasn't getting anything of like that on the day that he decided to go and noise up the grannies in the main stand. Was he not? No? I thought yeah. he did a little bit. All right, yeah. anyway, doesn't matter. Anyway, anyway. Arsehole. <laughs> um, and I must admit, when we went 1-0 down, I, kind of, I, I, I started to fear for the worst at this point because it's a makeshift defence. It's a team low on confidence. Um, well, there, there, there's a hilarious moment. <laughs> I don't know if hilarious is the right word, but I thought it was quite funny. Well, we use hilarious. About, about 60 minutes in, when Duke plays that 
fucking horrendous pass to Matty Pollock, <laughs> yeah. where which gives him no choice but to wipe out the number twenty-one, whoever that was, and Main like gets a shot away. I think McDonald blocks it, goes out for a corner. Pollock's like on the ground, clutching his hamstrings as if he's got a cramp sitting in. Angus McDonald's like stretching his calves out on the post <laughs> yeah. and like still half an hour ago. We've got no, we've got no one else on the bench, so um, suck it up. Yeah, it was a bit brutal. Um, interestingly, Duke was a way to get hooked, I think, by Barry Robson. Mark Andy was stripped and ready to come on, and rightfully so. Yeah, because he hadn't had a very good game at all. Um, but then he Duke does some duking, and out of nowhere, bundles his way past three players. Gets a wee nudge, over he goes. I was convinced VAR was going to, I was convinced they were going to look at this and not give it. And he'd already been booked. And I thought, here we go. Second booking, red cards we come. But no, apparently there must have been a power cut at VAR Towers again. So the penalty was given. Miofsky steps up, sends Carson the wrong way, which I was actually quite, I was really pleased on two levels here, obviously to get a goal, uh, to get the equaliser and get back in the games. One, but I was also pleased for Miofsky just to get in our goal in the league again. Because I thought he, I thought his effort on the night Deserved it. I know it's another penalty. Um, Carson's done well at penalty kicks as well. I guess I nudged you just before he took it to say Carson saved three out of three in St. Mirren's Scottish Cup game last week. So I was waiting for this to be saved. Good pen, saves in the, uh, sends in the wrong way. And at that point, you kind of look at that and go, right, 18 minutes to go. Can we kind of hold out here? Because as for all of St. Mirren's possession that they had, which you'd expect, I kind of felt the same as you. I felt that the ball was getting thrown in the box. I felt we were kind of defending them all right. Like we were getting heads on things. We were getting, we looked a, a wee bit ropey um, in in certain transitions. But when they were resi- when they were restricted, just throwing balls in the box, I thought we looked okay. May I take a chance to throw out a potentially unpopular opinion? Go for it. We score the equalizer. Yeah. The red shed goes a bit, bit barmy. Yeah. Two flares are then thrown on the pitch. Game is held up for about five minutes. Yeah. Momentum. Gone. Yeah, I'm not sure it was the best time to do that. I felt it allowed St. Mirren just to really settle themselves back down again. Well, I also if think... Anything, if, if anything's well, because the game gets going, you know, the guys have got that adrenaline, the momentum going, you never know what can then happen. Yeah. But after exactly. that, it's just, like, it's just like, you know, everyone then, everyone's cold again by the time the game actually comes back around. And yeah, yeah it gives them the chance to just get a level head, realise that at the end of the day, hey, we've still got the man advantage. We've controlled most of this game. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. We'll, we'll see this out. Do you think as well, though, should Robson maybe have thought about making a change or two at this point? I mean, we were we were dead on our feet already we, by this point. We were, well, we, like I say, we were going to make changes. I think Marcande was coming on and I, I can't remember. I think one Coulson else. Coulson was stripped. Coulson was stripped. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, given the, the sheer toll of playing for effectively the whole game up to that point with 10 men um fresh legs would have definitely definitely helped us out there it was it's i don't know Barry robson and we were talking about as just poor like you know a guy was definitely kicking every single ball that was on there and after the last two managers we've had having a manager on the touchline who's a bit animated and showing a little bit of passion not hating that but maybe you know his a lot of his kind of coaching education has come under Dennett mckinnis and in those situations, Derek tended to stick with the guys that he had at his disposal and was not yeah. keen to make changes unless, you know, he needed to um, to claw a game back. And so I think that was maybe a mistake on Robson's part and hopefully something he'll learn from. It just felt a little bit daft. I think uh, there was one, on one hand, I kind of look at it and I also go, well, if he turns to the bench, he might look and go, I'm not actually sure on that bench who I can put on here to really hold out. You know, the, the bench wasn't filled with defensively minded players at all. Um, but I think there was definitely an argument to suggest that Hayes had probably run his race by that point, put Coulson in at left back. Coulson's not played well in recent weeks at all, but at least he would bring a bit of freshness and a bit of pace. Hopefully he can close people down. Maybe bring Clarkson or Dukov or both and put Barron in and put Barron in alongside Shinny and Ramadani, give another kind of shield in there. And maybe someone like Duncan um, for Duke. And he's just going to be asked just to basically... You know, run around and chase Duncan, after people. Duncan or Mercandy. Yeah, there's there's options there. Or Watkins. There's there's there are options there. Yeah, but interest. But bizarrely, we then decided not to do anything, and then for nine minutes later, Main scores his second best yeah. goal Curtis Main will ever score in his life. <laughs> yeah, it was a really good Dennis, goal. We were right behind it. Dennis Burkamp esque. Yeah, disappointing. Touch, swivel, volley, all in one movement. 
Yeah, and it was in from the moment it left his foot, wasn't it? Like we were oh, right behind it, bending away from Joe Lewis all the time. Hits the side net. It's a perfect yeah. finish. Indeed, Christ. Um, and then we make changes. Duke and Clarkson coming off for Watkins and Marcandi, and then it's all over just a few minutes later. Anyway, a corner kick, Gallagher over the header. He's looks like he's cleared off the line. Watt taps in from an offside position. Um, goals disallowed initially. Referee, the assistant on the main stand side, flags for offside, and then VAR gives the goal later. Now, again, this doesn't affect the, the end result of the game, right? Because we were we weren't going to come back and get a two two draw. I don't think I couldn't see it happening. But how the fuck is VAR given that as a goal? Well, you reliably tell me that we don't have goal line technology in this country. We don't have goal line technology. No, um, it was goal line technology in use at Hamden for the League Cup semi finals and for the same and there will be for the League Cup final in the Scottish Cup games because they have the Hawkeye technology there for that which is why the Morelos incident was was not given but we don't have goal line technology as standard uh, in Scottish football um, and I'm not entirely sure VAR is even able to is meant to be utilised to check goal no goal decisions I need to go back and check this again but even if it is going to be used for that surely you need to have the right camera angles for this and I've only seen one camera angle that they've used which is from an angle from the south stand looking down towards the goal but you're at an angle and from that image i don't think you could tell whether that is over the line or not especially given we all saw all of the noise and everything that came after the the goal kick no goal kick decision at the world cup for it was japan wasn't japan against who did they play germany oh, um germany one of the big teams i can't remember spain you know, and whoever it was yeah. you know and from every camera angle possible it looked like that had gone out but it was only when you really saw the top down view you were able to say actually no they've got that right based on you know the, the strictest interpretation of the law I, I can't for any I, I i'm baffled by how they were able to come to a position that that had crossed the line i'm looking at the scottish fa.co.uk website mm -hmm. and the section dedicated to var when can VAR intervene only in specific circumstances when the VAR thinks the on-field referee has made a clear and obvious error or missed a serious incident relating to straight red cards, penalty area incidents, goals? So it's wonderfully vague. Yeah, because I thought goals were around if there's like a foul in the build-up to a goal being scored. That would be my understanding. Uh, will we have goal line technology in the Premiership? Not at the moment. Who is providing the technology? We are working with Hawkeye Innovations, blah, 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 blah. Da, 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 da. Yeah, so I don't see anything suggesting that goal line incidents should fall under the power of VAR. I mean, maybe you can maybe you can use it when it's in, when it's incredibly obvious and you have the angle. Yeah, and you can say, yeah, that's definitely a goal. Fine, but I I don't think they had the angle again on Wednesday I've, night. I've watched it a number of times, um, and my my instinct in the shed was that I'd crossed the line, but it's very very. Sometimes I think it's over. Sometimes I think Johnny Hayes has cleared it offline. And then yeah. Tony Watt is definitely offside, so it's it shouldn't yeah. have counted. And I don't understand how they can give it because, like I say, from the one angle yep. that they've got, I don't even can tell. Which is yeah, because it's on it's on an it's angle. It's on a angle. Yes, like forty five degrees to to where the goal line is. It's mental. Um, it doesn't make, it doesn't matter. It, it wouldn't have made an end. It wouldn't have changed the end result. But it feels like they're just picking and choosing when they fuck they use this thing. And I don't know. I'm entirely bemused by the whole thing. Um, what we should probably not sidestep in this conversation is what the fuck is Joe Lewis doing? Yeah, well, let's quickly talk about that because I think we were just talking about um, in the deadline day segment we were talking about the fact that I wouldn't at all be surprised if that ended up being Joe Lewis's final game for Aberdeen, which, let's be honest, I think a combination of the last... His, his return to the team in the last four games has been on one hand... And this sounds really melodramatic, I think, but um, fuck it. It's kind of heartbreaking to see a guy who has been a really good servant to the club and was an excellent goalkeeper for us um, for a period, for a decent period of time, to see his Aberdeen career end with shipping five at Hearts, a one 0 defeat at Darvo, shipping six at Easter Road, and then if if the last thing he does as an Aberdeen player is is that goal on Wednesday night, it's a it's an un it's an unedifying end to Joe Lewis's time as as Aberdeen goalkeeper, isn't it? It it doesn't match up with the contribution that he's made to the club, certainly. But um, it was not good. And you know what? I, I thought Barr, because um, I don't think he can do anything with either of Curtis Main's goals. There is a moment in the first half when 
Um, I can't remember who it is that gets down the line, but and that's what leads to the Curtis main miss. Joe Lewis's position there is pretty shambolic. Some of his kicking was not very good. But oh, on poor. the whole, I thought yeah, like yeah. on the whole, I thought, you know, he was he was coming for crosses. It's had taken some good ones and had made some good saves. But then, yeah, you get that. And I think it's best. Like I think we all kind of know that the end is nigh. And uh yeah, hopefully, hopefully there's enough people out there that'll remember what Joe Lewis was like when he was at the peak of his powers and pulling out unbelievable save week after week because it's yeah, this is not the fitting way for him to leave. Right. Um, I kind of don't want to talk too much about Wednesday night again because I think it's almost it's almost impossible to really take too much out of Wednesday night because of just how the game panned out. Um, uh, what what I would say, I don't tend to agree with people that are suggesting it's one of the worst performances of the, of the season. I think when you're down in like 10 men so early on, if you'd given me the setup that Aberdeen play Sitmarin after having lost 5-0 to Hearts, 6-0 to Hibs, and now they're down to 10 men within minutes of the game starting and they've got a brand new centre-back pairing and you ask me what happens. I'm not sure I would say that, well, I think we'll hold out for 50 minutes and then we'll go 1-0 down and then we'll get it back to 1-1 and then we'll lose it in the final stages. I it was a lot more spirit within the team, um, a lot more effort, um, and I thought, you know, in the first half, especially that we, we were still able to create some problems for us at the moment. Um, I think that maybe died out in the second half uh, until Duke wins us that penalty. But we're back in the game and then it's a, it's a very uncharacteristic moment of brilliance from Curtis Main that takes the game away from us. So, by Robson's decisions, um, personnel-wise, not what I would have done, not what I would have gone with, but I think there are, I actually think there are some positives to take from it. And with 11 men, I think that's a different game altogether. Yeah, I think I don't necessarily buy. Barry was being very, very, very positive post match about the performance. Um, I think that was but perhaps. What else can he do? That's he's he's got to build some level of confidence in the team. Yeah, absolutely, he has to. And I think I think it's part and parcel of the game, isn't it? He needs to try and build that that level of confidence, and that is what it is. Um, but yeah, I just I I feel that there was not really much I could really take away from the game on on Wednesday night as a whole. I think we just have to kind of dust ourselves down, and we need to go go again as they would say on on saturday um i guess the bigger concern is just simply the fact that results kind of loosely went the way we would have hoped on wednesday Res- night results, once again. Went, results went exactly the way we wanted them to go um but instead we now find ourselves you know really kind of cut adrift now a little bit from you know we're, we're still sitting in seventh 29 points but what we are now is we're really sitting what we're sitting four points off st Mirren now who are in fourth who do have a game in hand Interestingly, St. Mirren are kind of really now starting to close in on Hearts. So if they win their game in hand, they'll only be three points behind Hearts. Hearts still 39 points, still 10 points ahead of us. I mean, it's still not out of the realms of possibility, don't get me wrong, that we can get up in that fourth spot. But it's just that worry, isn't it? That the longer we go without picking up a result, or picking up a win, you start to eh, just look more and more over your shoulder, don't you, a little bit? Yeah, it's what makes Saturday against Motherwell so, so critical. Exactly. We're going to come on to that in a minute or two. Uh, if you're going to do it, Gav. A top dawn from, from Wednesday evening. Oh, Christ. A top dawn. Um, you don't have to if you don't want to. Probably someone in there that I could pull out. Um, no, no, there isn't. There we go. I, um, I thought I thought Miofsky did well. Yeah, I'd go Miofsky. I thought it was pretty thankless stuff he was asked to do. So I am just looking at the, at the BBC website. I'm not even forced to sign Andre Ayew until the end of the season. <laughs> that makes him the 29th signing since they returned to the Premier League. Great stuff. Their team meetings must be boisterous. Yeah, I thought I thought you had a maximum squad size in the English Premiership. I oh, thought yeah. it was twenty five, twenty five or twenty six. Anywho, but, but you go. can pad you can pad it out with young players though. But they have to be homegrown young players. I'm not sure. Or is it just under twenty threes? Anyway, who cares? Sure. But that's. I just like the idea of signing twenty nine people. Uh, fair play to Scott McKenna, but he's still in there. Yes, absolutely. As as you touched on as well, the Aberdeen Real Madrid link strengthened further with the possibility that. Uh, McKenna will play in front of Keylor Navas. Yeah, when um, when Scott McKenna was playing alongside, I don't know, Anthony O'Connor. I was trying to think of any goalkeepers we had in that time. Uh, Scott McKenna played jail with some decent goalkeepers. Uh, that doesn't work. Anywho, will we shut down Wednesday night now? We'll, yeah, let's, let's, turn our let's, uh, let's put it to the back of our minds. Okay, let's do that. So that's going to wrap up the first half of this episode. Join us after the break for our preview of Saturday's Clash of the Jobbers at Pataudry Stadium as Motherwell 
Base Aberdeen. This episode of the ABC Football Podcast is brought to you by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Siberia is back and better than ever in 2023 with a revamped food menu and even better, they're offering free area hires between January and March. Head on down and get rid of those January blues by enjoying a night out with your friends on Belmont Street. Book an area or even a table for Siberia's 2023 Burns Supper via their website at siberia-aberdeen.co.uk. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Before we move on to our preview of Saturday's fixture with Millwall, just want to give a quick shout out to Robin Barkley for his contribution to the ABZ FP Beer and Coffee Fund this week. Much appreciated, Robin. We see you. Your bread's appreciated. If you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or coffees, please head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ Football Podcast. It is very much appreciated. Now, Gav. Yes. Saturday afternoon. The Steel Men visits Petodre for the second time this season. Obviously, two games so far between the sides this season. One win a piece to the away sides, a 3-2 win for Motherwell. And what was what the third game of the season, I think it was? A 2-1 win for Aberdeen at Fir Park later on. One of only two away wins for us so far this season. It's one f- a match for the ages, a classic of the genre. Motherwell arriving at Petodre on Saturday without a win in the league since October the 29th, which is a win, uh, which is a run, sorry, that makes us look like title contenders, I would suggest. <laughs> <laughs> this is a proper Brooklyn brawler meets Barry Horowitz setup. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, good. Nice, Gav. Nice. Um, looking at Motherwell, always dangerous. So... Wednesday night, they had a 2-0 home defeat to St. Johnston. So goals, 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 still the big issue for Motherwell. They've only scored 26 in the league so far. 13 from open play, 7 from set plays. The balance of those are penalty kicks or own goals. Kevin Van Veen, of course, is their top scorer with 9. 33 goals conceded to date. Uh, that, that's not the worst in the league by any sort of stretch. I mean, that's, thir- that's oh sorry, 35 goals Sorry, now conceded in the league which again still not the worst in the league by any sort of stretch it's still 11 goals better than us um, but they definitely seem to concede a lot of silly goals that they can't recover from um, also sounds very similar doesn't it all too similar I might say yeah absolutely just looking at their goals against 23 goals against from open play that is kind of mid-table in the league that's from expected goals against an open play of 22.48 so Liam Kelly appears to be pretty much keeping up his end of the bargain, 10 goals conceded from set plays though, which vastly outstrips the league on this one. Only Aberdeen with a worse set play conceded goals ratio. That will surprise you, I guess. Um, although their set play goal against quote of 10, that's against unexpected goals against the 5.87. So they are really struggling at set pieces, it would appear. Um, in terms of team sequencing and styles and all that kind of good stuff, very middle of the road, quite quick at trying to get the ball up through the lines. They've got the second highest direct speed in the league, 1.75 metres per second. They try to move the ball. In terms of actual passes per sequence, though, as well, eh, middling. Middle of the road, 2.46. Nothing much to say about that, in fairness. In terms of 10-plus passing sequences through the season, they've only had 70 of those. So they're looking to try and move the ball around up the park pretty swiftly terms of zones of control again pretty much giving up a lot of territory to most teams asking you to come in and break them down effectively more than anything else ppda 10.8 so they have they are the fourth most pressing team in the league at this moment in time but that is not particularly effective for them they've not converted a single one of their turnovers this season into goals so gav yes motherwell Petodre. Saturday. It's got nil-nil written all over it, doesn't it? A barn burner. A main event in any town. <laughs> huge game. Huge game for both teams. A huge game. I mean, I watched um, I watched the highlights of Motherwell versus St. Johnston before we did this to get a gauge on where they are and 
how they performed in the last game. St. Johnston scored two very, very easy goals. Um, they don't look like they're got a huge amount about them, by the way. Um, some curious decisions in that game as well, by the way. I'd suggest <laughs> looking out for um, Don Robertson deciding what is and what is not a foul. Um, so I'm not suggesting that we're the only victims of refereeing decisions in this country. Kind of on paper, like a perfect thing to play against for a, when you're a side that are just desperate for a win, especially at home. But I said that in, in August when we played them um, off the back of their defeats against, remind me of the jobbers they played, Sligo Rovers? Sligo Rovers. Um, which ultimately led to Graham Alexander being sacked and Stevie Hamill getting, I think at that point, the caretaker drawn. Yeah, that's right, yeah. He had a little bit of a bounce, but yeah, it's it's turned back to to proper shit. And what, their second bottom now? Second bottom, tied bottom with the United. There, there's... yeah. Not bottom on goal difference. So I believe I backed them for relegation at the beginning of the season. So maybe one of my predictions will come off. Maybe. They, yeah, they just don't, you know, they don't look like they've got a huge amount about them. And I can't think. Van Veen's definitely not scoring on a regular basis. Um, no, but he anymore. will on Saturday. He will. Uh, well, maybe, maybe. Tony Watt didn't score on Wednesday. And he always, <laughs> he always does something against us. Um, it's, it's, it's so hard to predict because I'm not even sure how we're going to line up. I think we've, we have appealed Ross McCrory's red card, so he should be available for us. Yeah. Um, but I, I wonder if Bad Ops will make changes elsewhere um, if we stick with the with the back three, which, you know, doesn't... I, I still think that takes too much away from us in an attacking sense. Yeah, I agree. Especially when you're at home to a team like Motherwell or even a team like St. Mirren, to be fair, the way they set up. Um, very difficult to predict. But I do still think there was enough to take in the way of positivity out of the endeavour and the fight we showed against Sidman and like I say Motherwell are not up to much at all so it's on paper perfect but it's too it's too hard to predict so yeah Motherwell thought interesting they've they've done a lot of business as well in the transfer window brought in a whole host of players they've also really tried to bolster in particular their kind of attacking options so they've taken in uh, Oliver Crankshaw on loan from Stockport County forward Michael Mandron Mikhail Mandron sorry Striker from Gillingham. Oliver Gash. Crankshaw sounds like a character from like a period drama. Totally. It really does. <laughs> Riku Danzaki from Sapporo. I bet he was delighted to arrive in fucking Motherwell. Um, What's his name? Riku Danzaki. Straight out of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, Motherwell trying to cash in on the old Ange Postacoglu scouting network. Yeah, pretty much. That's what's going on here, I think. Uh, Jack Aitchison, a free transfer from Barnsley. He was quite highly rated, as I remember, from Celtic, wasn't he? Who was that, sorry? Jack Aitchison. Um, he went down to That's Barnsley. That's a name I remember. Them. A couple of seasons it's one of ago. many names that Celtic come through that never gets anywhere near the team. Yeah, exactly. Um, who else we got? There's uh, James Furlong, a centre-back from Brighton and Hove Albion. Let's be honest, we've all seen Brighton Hove Albion's under-23s and we know what they're <laughs> like. And Jonathan Obika returns to Scottish football from Morecambe on loan. Um, now, I think Obika, then he was on the bench, I think, on Wednesday evening. They did start with Van Vienico. But I wonder if we might see a slightly different Motherwell side as well on Saturday, given that all these players came in lastminute.com, kind of similar to us. Um, I wonder if we might see a slightly different Motherwell side once he gets a bit of time to work with them between... Wednesday evening and Saturday. Well, Bika from Markham, Derek Adams doing one of his old teams a wee favour there, you might suggest. Possibly, possibly. Um, yeah, like likewise. I, I hadn't realised they had done that much business, to be honest. So, Obika, from what I remember, was a very much kind of classical lower league English striker that comes to Scotland who's got like a lot of very good attributes bar the ability to play football. Hmm. So, they, if they play him, they'll um, I'm sure they'll provide a test of some kind to... McDonald and Pollock and maybe McCrory as well. Um, whatever it is they come at us with, you know, we just, I do honestly believe that if we show the same level of endeavour and fight that we did against St. Mirren as a basics and then let whatever whatever quality that we have on our team come through as well, I honestly do think we've got enough to beat Motherwell. Go on the gaff. You're going to put your nuts on the line. Give us a prediction. Jay Gorter to come in. Barring red tape. Keep a clean sheet. Aberdeen to win by two goals to nil. Gav's confident. The Barry Robson era gets up and running. Not sure I'm quite as confident. Gav's Un- like unless Grant Irvine has given the uh, unless Grant Irvine's got the duties in the middle. Well, who knows? In who which knows? case, in which case, I have absolutely no idea what happens. Grant Irvine would be the VAR ref. 
or something. Like, yeah. Anyway, um, I'm not quite as confident. I don't think in terms of clean sheets, etc. I just still think we're way too makeshift at the back at the moment to even consider that. But I think we may be... Hopefully Barry decides to go back to back four. Um, we, we get a bit more width. We, we'd be a little bit more attacking focused on on Saturday. Interestingly, Motherwell have got the fourth best away record in the league, which is bizarre. If you think about where they are in the league, they're second bottom, but they've got the fourth best away record in the top flight. Crazy stuff. I don't think it's going to be an easy game. I think Motherwell will come here and I think they will view a point here as being a good result. So I expect them to probably try and sit in. But at the same time, if I was Stevie Hamill, I'd also look at how fragile our confidence is right now and think if we were going to try and get a result to pull us out of the mire we're in, this is about as good an opportunity as there is to get one. I'm going to say Aberdeen 3, Motherwell 1. Motherwell will go a goal up and it'll get a little bit of squeaky bum time, but we'll come through it. That's what I'm going to go for. So you're not so confident, but you do think well, for the first time in the season we will go behind and come back to win a game? It's all going to come up, Barry. Okay. I don't know. I'm just I'm trying to take some of his positivity. Let's uh, Let's put it that way. Anyway, will that do a scav? Ring the bell. It's time to go home. You tapping out. Excellent. That wraps up this episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, or follow whatever you do on your podcast player of choice. Join us next time round for episode 89, where we will take a look back at Aberdeen versus Motherwell Tawdry on Saturday. And then I'm pretty certain we've got a we've got a week off, don't we? We we don't play Celtic until two weeks away. So we can Is it not next time? No, I think we've got a week off, I'm pretty certain. Am I talking out my arse? I had, a, I had it in my head that it was next Saturday we played. Oh, let me double check. Probably should just wrap it up now. We don't need to do this here, do we? 18th of February. Oh, no, you're right. Two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. I think it's the League Cup final. I think maybe next next week. Oh, we've got no interest in that kind of thing. Nope, we don't. Anyway, that'll do us. See you next time. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds.